It's time for Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk on News Talk 1400 and 93.9 FM WDWS Champaign-Urbana, where we talk all things Illini along with other area and national sports. Join the program by calling 217-356-9397 or send a text to the Castle Heating and Cooling text line 217-351-5357. Now, here are your hosts, Lauren Tate and Steve Kelly. Good morning once again, everybody, and welcome to the program. Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk with you until 11 o'clock this morning. Mr. Tate is in the uh, co-pilot seat. How are you doing this morning, Good morning, Stephen. You're looking good. <laughs> well, <laughs> I feel all right. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a start. We've got uh, 18 degrees. Feels like 2 degrees outside on this frosty January the 8th. And we're with you, as I mentioned, till 11 o'clock. Brad Underwood will join us coming up in just a few moments. Jeremy Warner is uh, one of our scheduled guests as well. And at 10 o'clock, we'll visit with Doug Deacon, longtime uh, Cleveland Browns uh, left tackle and radio man, retiring after 51 years with the Browns. Yeah, I saw a little a report on him. A guy did an interview asking him, you know, Doug wanted to play tight end. He played tight end for Illinois. Right. And when he went with the Browns, they said, uh, you're going to be a tackle. And he said, well, can I have a shot at tight end? And then they, when they issued the uniform, he said, it was number 73. He said he knew, what, he knew the story from that point on. You know what? He never missed a game. He made 194 consecutive starts. Unbelievable. Played 203 games. What a games. horse. Yeah. What a great guy, too. And he replaced a, a, a legend over there. Dick Shathrath was oh, the— Oh, yeah. Uh, I remember that name. He was the uh, left tackle when uh, when uh, Doug Deacon got to, to Cleveland. And, and uh, Deacon still holds the— uh, Illinois career passing reception yardage record for tight ends. Oh, he does? Yeah, he had 1,200 and some career yards. 89 catches is not the most catches by a tight end, but it's number one in yardage. Could I tell you that I don't even think they were called tight ends in those days? They were just receivers. Yeah. Everybody was an end. And at some point, obviously he was built like a tight end, and he just continued to grow. And that's why he became, because he had such good feet and he had that size, that's why he was a good blocking tackle. Got the phone lines open, 217-356-9397, if you'd like to jump in. Big Ten basketball, there were three games scheduled on the Saturday list, but the uh, Michigan State at Michigan game has been postponed. That was scheduled for Michigan, some uh, COVID concerns in Ann Arbor. Of course, the Wolverines are scheduled to come to Champaign next Friday night. Yeah, and they've got a game with Purdue on Tuesday. Right. So will they play? Good question. We'll see how quickly uh, things change up there and how <clears throat> how that might be backdated to when they actually uh, had some uh, people test positive there. Purdue plays at Penn State at 11 o'clock today. Nebraska at Rutgers. Of course, Illinois goes to Nebraska on Tuesday night. So uh, Illinois goes from playing uh, two games in three days to, to having the weekend off from game action. I think they can use that. I think that's good. They might have been a little tired uh, in, in that second game Thursday. I think there's probably uh, some accuracy to that. And uh, regardless of uh, 
you know, you can say, well, they're 18, 20 years old. They're in pretty good shape, and, and that's true. But that second game on, on the quick turnaround like that was bound to catch up with them a little bit. It showed in their shooting, and it showed in that period of time when they didn't have Kofi in the game to throw the ball to. Right. And, There's uh, not much problem in, in, in Kofi scoring when he's getting the dunk, is there? No, and he's fouling <laughs> two guys out. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, if he'd have been in there uh, in that first half, he might have fouled them out earlier. They both went out about four minutes to go, four or five minutes to go, but – I, I checked it out. I looked it up, as you know, and, and uh, Kofi doesn't foul out very often. He's fouled out one time in two and a half years, and two and a half seasons that he's been here. And uh, that was against Michigan, at Michigan, when he was a freshman. And he's had, uh, I think, 16, 17, 18. He's had like 18 games since he's been here that he's had four fouls. And I know that uh, in many cases that Underwood has been careful with him, and we'll talk to Underwood here in a minute, about that, about how careful you have to be with Kofi because you don't want him to, you want him around in that second half for sure. And right on cue, we have Brad Underwood on the line with us. Good morning, uh, Coach. How are you? Good morning. Good morning, guys. How are we doing? Good. We're talking Illinois basketball. And what's on your uh, weekend agenda? Are you going to be able to get uh, some recruiting done, maybe get some uh, some time to watch some other Big Ten games? Well, I can tell you the one thing I won't do is watch other Big Ten games. I may follow the scores, but uh, it's one thing I just don't do. I may look, I may watch other games, but it won't be Big Ten games. I watch so much film on them, and uh, I always want to hit rewind or replay, and I just <laughs> I don't do that. But we'll have a couple practices today, and, and we'll go here in a little bit and, and do a lot of shooting and, and uh, some weight room stuff, and then we'll come back this afternoon and. Today's going to be a, uh, a situation day, uh, a day we work on some special situations and and uh, try to create some uh, game-like situations that could come up, and and uh, we'll do we'll spend a little time on that today. Well, Coach, I know you said you might have to reevaluate uh, how to handle the, the situation when Kofi gets two fouls in the first half if that happens again, and your thoughts on that, and and you know how <laughs> that's a delicate decision, isn't it? Yeah, it's not easy. Um, you know, it's one thing I've, I've always been probably a little more on the conservative side of that. Uh, you know, take guys out when they get two. Um, you know, and, and like the other night uh, at Minnesota, Trent gets two. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, you kind of, you kind of you have, to, have to trust your guys, but you also have to understand where you're at in the game, what the score is, uh, and then also how the game's being called. And, you know, you fast forward to the Maryland game, and really both of Kofi's fouls were really ticky-tack fouls. Um, I didn't uh, – I, I was concerned about that. Uh, there were a lot of fouls in that first half of that game. Maryland got to the foul line a lot. It was just the way the game was called. And I, I uh, we had a 14-point lead. We obviously lost that. Uh, but, uh, you know, I felt like, you know, having him not feel – uh, like he's got to be cautious going into the second half was way more important than playing him through that role. So it's not an easy decision. You've got to trust him. They're upperclassmen. I do. Uh, I made that decision actually pretty early in the year. He, DeMonte, uh, you know, Jake uh, and Coleman or and uh, Kofi, that I would probably play them with two uh, if if the situation was right, and and, and I'll continue to do that. Well, Coach, what can you tell us about uh, Curbelo, and is, is he says he uh, become involved in your practices yet? 
Yeah, he's he's everything now is based on his is, is based on conditioning and his reaction to that. Um, so uh, obviously, Bellow's been out for a while. Uh, we now we don't want to compound the issue by bringing him back, and he's not in great shape, and 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 risking a, a different type of injury or or re aggravating something. So um, you know, it's a process that getting him back in shape. Um, and now re- re-involving him in basketball. And uh, uh, everything with Curbelo revolves around a reaction to what he's done that day and how he, how he feels. And, and, and so we'll monitor that. Uh, but it'll be a, it'll be a slow process uh, from, from the, the, the actual putting the uniform back on in practice, and we'll monitor that because we want him to be in great shape. But uh, uh, he's he's moving forward, and and uh, you know we'll have him doing basketball-related activities with our team here uh, real soon. Talking to Brad Underwood, uh, two wins this week at Minnesota, and then at home against Maryland, uh, in kind of a quick turnaround and two different kind of ball games, and and having to fight through some adversity. Nobody said it was going to be easy, right, Coach? Once you <laughs> once you get to Big Ten play, then with everything else going on. Yeah, nothing's easy in this league, and and uh, you know I felt really good about the Minnesota game actually going in. I you know I thought our guys would be prepared. They were eager to play. Uh, you know, coming off COVID, being a long layoff, and I was actually a lot more concerned about the Maryland game. Uh, you know, just a quick turn, and then when you're off, eleven days. And 10, 11 days, when, and, and you come back and you play and you've got a quick turn, you, you worry about the conditioning piece. Uh, you worry about uh, uh, the mental fatigue. Uh, and, it's you know, you're playing two high-level games, and, and you've got to compete. And, and I thought that uh, uh, we weren't as sharp in the Maryland game. Maryland had a lot to do with that, and obviously the circumstances of the game. But uh, – I thought for the most part we handled that pretty well. Our team's pretty mature. Uh, obviously, Devontae and Trent were were outstanding on the defensive side and, and logged big minutes. And uh, but uh, you know it's something we can grow from. And it's a NCAA tournament type setting with it, with that quick turn. And, and uh, it'll be something we can reference later in the year. And uh, Thursday was a big night at the State Farm Center. Io Desumu will back in town and. The uh, banner raising uh, ceremony at halftime that uh, you guys didn't get a chance to see, but I'm sure you've seen video of it since. And it was just a, a feel-good situation for all that uh, Io has meant uh, to the program, meant to you personally. And 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 uh, I, I thought it was great the way everybody showed up for that. And uh, it was a, just a fun night there. Yeah, it's you know the one thing I really appreciate is the fact that we don't wait till they're 40 to do stuff like this. You know, we we do it when it's when it's in the moment. It's 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 fresh for for the fans. Um, I, I really like that part of it. I think he's, um, you know, obviously so deserving. But uh, you know, and it was it was it was, you know, it's amplified by the fact he's with the Bulls. He's having a great year. You know, so many of the Bulls organization came down uh, with him and were at the game and, and to see DeRozan there. Uh, it just it, it just was the the perfect storm. It was a great uh, great night and well deserved for for Io and his family. And uh, you know it's a pretty special moment for 
for everybody involved in the program, but coaching him and and uh, knowing what he means to us and and, and our basketball family, it's it's a, it's a pretty special moment. Coach uh, uh, Kofi wasn't too tired at halftime there. You could have let him come out and do the same thing. <laughs> it's just a matter of time before that goes up for him, isn't it? Yeah, it's pretty neat. It's, you know, we know that. We know there'll be another one, and and uh, you know we'll 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 do that accordingly. Uh, right now, I need him to get ready for 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 Nebraska. <laughs> and not be thinking about that, but uh, but yeah, you know, it's it's nice to to have players that that are impactful. But the best part of that, Lauren, and you've been around them a lot, is is to know that what good people they are yeah. and, and they're going to represent and they're not just really good players, but great human beings and, and, and understanding that their legacy is, 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 is really pretty cool. Ohio had a real good night last night, 18 points, an NBA career high in 31 minutes, five rebounds, four assists, a couple of steals, actually three steals in that ball game for the bulls. And he's really found a niche with them, hasn't he? Well, what a what a good forty eight hours for him. Yeah, uh, yeah. I watched that. I watched that game. I try to watch as many NBA games and Bulls games as I can, and, and they're fun to watch. And you know, I think it speaks speaks volumes. I mean, people have no idea how important what Demar Derozan did uh, coming down for that. Uh, I think that speaks volumes to the locker room that the Bulls have, the organization. Uh, there's a reason they've turned this around to have the big, the biggest turnaround in the East and leading the East. Um, you know, it's 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 little things like that that are so important in that locker room. And so it's, um, you know, he's off to a great start and and he's going to have a great career. And you know, I'm just I'm I'm excited as heck for him and not surprised by anything he does. Back to the Big Ten, I, one of the stunning things is the way some of these players have developed this year. Johnny Davis of Wisconsin is now contender, everybody says, uh, for National Player of the Year. And, boy, he's he's something else for Wisconsin right now. Iowa couldn't stop him, and nobody has really found an answer for him. I, 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 were you aware of his status going in? Well, I think we, we all thought he was going to be a really good player. Uh, you know, you, you come in as a freshman and he sat behind all those seniors. Uh, and yet you saw his flashes. Um, obviously Greg's done an unbelievable job of, you know, helping him develop and, and, uh, you know, he had a great summer, uh, with, with the under 19s and kind of blossomed, uh, in, in that environment. But, uh, you know, I think we all thought Kenyon Murray was going to be that guy, mm-hmm. um, and you know it's it's not everybody can step into a new place on the scouting report, and I mean a, a, a top spot and be that guy. Not everybody you've got to have some talent and, and a certain character to do that. And, and uh, both of those guys have done it, and both those guys are you know, probably projected lottery picks um, or very close. And um, you know it's it's great for our league. It's it's it shows that. Uh, uh, we get great talent in this league, which we always do, and, and it's great to see that that programs are developing guys. And I think you got the top three scorers in the country um, in the Big Ten, and yep. Murray and Davis and and Kofi. So uh, pr- pretty neat, pretty neat. Hey Brad, we appreciate your time. Uh, good to check in uh, with us here on this uh, Saturday morning. Kind of unusual with no uh, weekend game, but uh, we do appreciate it, and we'll talk to you soon. 
Have a great weekend, guys. Thank you. And, Lauren, hope you're feeling better. Well, I'm feeling great. Thanks, Brad. You got it. Bye. basketball coach Brad Underwood at 916. We'll take a break and be back with more. The phone lines will be open, 217-356-9397. I guess it it might as well be announced. I, I I did test positive last week, and I'm fully recovered. Never had a bad day, so... I, uh, that's what Brad meant when he, when he said that. Now, most people know, so, so everybody else might as well know, too. Well, I'm leaving, then. I'm getting out of here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I got clearance from the uh, health district to, uh, to be here this morning with a mask on, so if I sound a little blurry, that's why. Well, you look better with a mask on. <laughs> we'll take a break and uh, be back with more Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk after this. Stay with us. Welcome back to the program, Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk with Lauren Tate. I'm Steve Kelly with you until 11 o'clock. Thanks to Brad Underwood for uh, joining us for a few minutes off the top. It is moving up on 920. The phone line is open, 217-356-9397. Let's go to the phones. Richard in Tolono. Go ahead, Richard. What's going on? Hey, Steve. Uh, Good morning, and uh, congratulations to Lauren for uh, beating COVID. Uh, Brad said something uh, when he was talking about uh, uh, Io that uh, it's a good thing we didn't wait until he was 40. And um, I I had an interesting thought. And you'll say, well, wait, that's not exactly related. But do you remember when uh, there were times when the guys on the bench would be pounding on the floor, uh, maybe as a distraction to a, a guy shooting a free throw for the other team or something. And it was kind of like a, a thunder. Yeah, that was, uh, that was during the time there were no fans in there mainly. <laughs> okay. I got your point. Now let's play on uh, the NIL uh, factor for coach uh, Thunderwood. We could, we could tape that. And then when a guy is ready to, to shoot the free throw, play that. Have a sign up. Welcome to Thunderwood, you know, because we talk about the harp. <laughs> yeah, something we might might uh, might uh, utilize. It's, it's a thought. Maybe somebody will hear it, take it much further than I've uh, presented it now. But uh, I really appreciate Brad. I, I really do. And uh, he's he's going to have success with his uh, with his uh, recruiting. It looks like, and uh, he's turned the program around fairly quickly. And uh, well, not that it was uh, falling apart in basketball, but anyway, hey, love the show, guys, and uh, stay healthy, Lauren. Well, I'm trying. <laughs> Thanks, Richard. We appreciate the call. By the way, uh, Jeremy Fears uh, was a terrific young guard from Joliet who went to La Lemire in, in Laporte, Indiana, to play basketball. Six one guard came down to Michigan, Michigan State, and Illinois, and and this uh, yesterday, I believe, picked uh, Michigan State. I had heard a couple years ago, a couple weeks ago, that Illinois coaches were concerned about his three-point shooting, uh, but I know that he's a quick guard and he's got a lot of talent. And Michigan State is never shy, Steve, of talent. They took the best player out of Illinois last year, Max Christie, and he got 19 points in their last game. And he's coming along very – I mean, he hasn't been a high scorer most of the season, but he's he's coming along and – you, you've always got to worry about Michigan State. Here they are, 4-0 in the Big Ten. Back up in the top ten again. Same old Michigan State, huh? Apparently so. We'll find out as the season goes along. And in case you uh, you missed it last night, uh, Brett Bielma did make it official about uh, 
looking for a new uh, offensive coordinator for the Illinois uh, football team. He sent out a brief uh, two-sentence statement uh, that said, After my evaluation of our 2021 season, I've decided to make a transition from offensive coordinator Tony Peterson. I would like to thank Tony for his work and commitment to our football program over the past year. So that uh, was rumored uh, most of the week that that was going to happen. And uh, Jeremy Werner from uh, 24-7 Sports, Illini Inquirer, broke that story. And Jeremy will be with us coming up here in about seven or eight minutes on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. And now the speculation begins on what's next. And there's an offensive coordinator at uh, UTSA that has a uh, background and a history with uh, Brett Bielma named uh, Barry Lunny Jr., who was rumored to be the leading candidate? Nothing more on that officially yet. Yeah, I was. Uh, I, I was. It was reported that he was in town uh, several days ago. So I don't know if he's still here or went back or if he has other offers or what's holding it up. But uh, when you finish dead last in the Big Ten, and I mean dead last in passing, and you're uh, among uh, you know you're like 120 something in the nation in in offense. Yeah, uh, you got to look at it. I mean, I, I understand why, uh, you know, the coach would be a little disappointed. We didn't score a touchdown against two teams, I believe, Purdue and, and uh, Wisconsin shut Illinois right. out. And there were games where the offense just didn't quite have enough push. And it, it's interesting because they had all those offensive linemen back. They had their tight ends back. They had good running backs. And they had a, a, an experienced quarterback for most of the season. And uh, yet it just didn't click. And uh, I'm sure that uh, Bielma wants to start over. Well, they were weak overall at wide receiver. That's Pro- right. I, I left that out. Yeah. And, and they were weak at wide receiver. You're probably right. the probably bottom of the Big Ten in that category. I'd say that's right. Yeah. But otherwise, uh, the, the unit was pretty solid. So they'll need to. Uh, I mean, experienced at least. Yes. <laughs> Whether they were good or not is another question. And they had the, the injury situation at quarterback. They did have an mm-hmm. experienced guy, and yeah. Brandon Peters, but uh, he got hurt, and then. And on, on the on the other hand, they had a, a couple of good offensive games. The, the Northwestern game, say what you want, it, yeah. it was Northwestern, and their their defense wasn't very good. But that hasn't mattered in the past. But Illinois put it on them in that last game. Sure so, did. Uh, anyway, yeah, I, I don't think the players gave up on uh, you know quit on Peters or anything like that. It's just that if you go back and then analyze the entire season, Steve, that's what you got. You got a team that was last in the Big Ten in, right. in offense. Right. Another story this week. What about the situation with Steve Stricker and wow. how sick he got and mysteriously sick? They still don't know what that is. There was a he had a tweet this morning. Strick did. Oh, he did. Had a little video of him hitting some golf shots in Florida saying uh, he appreciated all the support, but he said it was a rough go. Did back to high school weight. huh? He lost a whole bunch of he weight. Lost 25 pounds. And uh, some kind of uh, situation where he had two bouts with it, where he had a, mm-hmm. was in the hospital right before Thanksgiving, got out and thought he was getting better, went hunting, and then uh, had some kind of relapse. And then he had swelling uh, around his heart and, and other organs, and it got real, real scary. That's, that's what was concerning him was the swelling around his heart. Yes. That would scare anybody. Yeah, and, you know. You, you and know, it's slow to go away. You, you know he's got great... Uh, medical care as most people do but uh and maybe even more so in the in the case of an athlete like that but uh they couldn't figure out what it was i don't know if they figured out what it is yet well but it's good to hear he's feeling better and uh 
I knew that he was a little under the weather. Mike Small and I have been trying to get him to come with us on, on this show at some point uh, after the Ryder Cup, and uh, we'll still try to get that done. But uh, that's one of the reasons why we weren't able to get it done in the month of December. And now so you far, know. Huh? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, a little under the weather is a little <laughs> bit of a understatement in that for sure. He was in the hospitalized for a long time. Yeah, a couple of weeks in the hospital on, uh, on a couple of different occasions. And he uh, has taken his family to Florida to kind of rehab down there. And uh, he does say he is feeling better. So he and you are on the mend. <laughs> that, that's good to know. 927, we'll take a timeout. The line I pelt Saturday Sports Talk. The phone line is open. 217-356-9397. We'll be back to talk things over with Jeremy Werner from Illini Inquirer after this. Stay with us. Back at you with Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Heading towards 11 o'clock. Phone line open, 217-356-9397. Steve Kelly and Lauren Tate with you here on the radio until that 11 o'clock hour. Steve in Princeton's been hanging on a little bit uh, throughout the show and is with us on the air, and then we're going to talk to Jeremy Warner. Go ahead, Steve. What's on your mind? Well, I just uh, – the Jeremy Fierce thing kind of concerns me because here's an Illinois kid that wants to come to Illinois, and Illinois kind of backed off. And Michigan State says, hey, we'll take you. And like Lauren said, Michigan State's number 10 in the country. And I don't know if the Adam Miller situation a year ago has soured Illinois on taking freshmen because they leave after a year, the transfer portal, and all that stuff. But, you know, being an Illinois kid and he wants to come to Illinois, I was disappointed that Illinois, uh, you know, withdrew their interest in him. When did you hear that they actually withdrew? Well, I got a text last night. I was watching La La Mer yeah. play, mm-hmm. and I text Jeremy's grandma. And I said, you know, Brenda, I'm sorry that uh, Jeremy's going to go to Michigan State and not Illinois. And her exact text words was, Illinois dropped the ball. That was his first choice, but they stopped showing interest in him. Well, I think there was a concern about his shooting ability. That I, I know that came up about two weeks ago. And I know Illinois was still, quote, in the in the race. But, you know, it's, it's like they, they, they've offered, what do you think, 30, 40 different people. I mean, yeah. Jeremy Fears is one of like 30 or 40 guys that Illinois has offered, okay? And you offer in different levels. I mean, you some guys you offer seriously and some guys you try to keep them alive in case and they were concerned about his shooting and ability. So, and sometimes from the time you make an offer to the time when it gets to be uh, picking time, uh, things change yeah. in yeah. a player's game. So I, I, now, if the, kid, if the kid was from New York or California, <laughs> I could see, well, we, we won't waste the scholarship on him as shooting. But when you got a kid an hour and a half up the road, yeah, I'll gamble on you. you know. Why, why would you take a player from here as opposed to Kingston, Jamaica? I mean, what's the difference? Well, I mean, I understand that one. That's a good choice. But I'm just saying a guard, and Illinois hadn't had that many Illinois kids that want to come. You know, they go out of state. And well, finally you get a kid that wants to come, and Michigan State says, yeah, we'll take you. Well, okay. I, I, mean, I just I don't think – look, it used to matter for 100 years, more than 100 years. It mattered where players were – Illinois tried to get Illinois players. Obviously, this is no longer the case. I mean, if you look at our team right now, and in fact, I wrote a column about it for tomorrow. 
Look at the number. We don't even have guys from the Midwest, <laughs> let alone Illinois. We got a, we got a couple guys. Uh, we got one player from Illinois uh, that Lieb, who's who's not playing. He's from Deerfield. We got uh, we got uh, Demonte Williams. That's it. Those two players are the only ones with Illinois backgrounds. And the interesting part is of 14 players on scholarship, 10 of them aren't even Midwesterners. They're either from California or from a foreign country or from uh, New York or you know, wherever. I mean, it, it doesn't seem. I mean, I when you, I I have a feeling like you do. I li- I love to see Illinois get Illinois players, but I don't think it really matters to them anymore. I just don't. Hey, Steve, appreciate the call. Okay, thank you. Yeah, we'll kick it around some more. Uh, Jeremy Werner is uh, with us from Illini Inquirer. He follows recruiting uh, probably closer, uh, no not, no, probably about it, but closer than uh, Lauren and I do on a regular basis. Your thoughts on the uh, Jeremy Fears uh, situation and picking and verbaling to uh, Michigan State, Jeremy. Good morning, by the way. Good morning, guys. Uh, yeah, I think Jeremy Fears is a really good point guard. I think he'll fit in right uh, well with, with uh, Tom Izzo, Michigan State, and the point guards they've had. As for Illinois and its decision there, I don't know. I'm, I just think Brad Underwood deserves some trust at this point, doesn't he? <laughs> I mean, um, he's built some pretty good rosters here. He's got a couple good guards coming in. Jade Neps, you can fill it up. I, I, I don't want to make – I hate making comparisons sometimes, but he's got some Carson Edwards in him. Uh, Sincere Harris is a, is a longer guard who can both defend and score. Um, so they probably – this is where Illinois is at, is that they can be picky. And, and I think what Brad Underwood is probably nervous about is if Jeremy Fears isn't going to be able to shoot the ball, it's hard to play him and Ty Rogers at the same time, right, on the court, and, and defenses can really collapse. And you can see this year what it's like when you have four guys uh, who can really shoot it from three. And I think Brad Underwood – Really likes that, and uh, I just think at this point he, he deserves some trust, and they're still in on some other really good guards, including Dede Ames, Kylan Boswell. Um, so I think Illinois will have a good guard in, in 2023 to, to help replace the guys who are eventually moving on. I, I just think Brad Underwood has kind of earned that trust at this point. Well, I think Underwood has said he doesn't want any guards that can't shoot. I mean, yeah. he, he made that clear in his own statement. I mean, this goes back years and years. I'll never forget – Jim Wright was coaching and um, was assistant coach and went to see a kid by the name of Thompson. I think he was in the Galesburg area or someplace. I don't remember exactly where. That's not right as to where he played, but I remember the name. And he went to see him play, and he came back and gave it a report and, and wasn't sure about his shooting. Well, go back and watch him again. And so he went back and watched him. What, what about his shooting? Well, not sure. After about three times, look, if you're not sure, you can't shoot, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and that, and that's and and they dropped that recruitment and and I just always remembered that because if you can't shoot as a guard that's a problem and this guy may be a good shooter maybe he's not a great shooter who knows but uh, what about his his uh, freshman brother uh, uh, Jeremy I haven't seen him yet Lauren so I won't pretend to know but he's really talented uh, I, this is where I start to feel old Lauren is. I grew up uh, about 15 minutes from Joliet, and uh, I remember reading all about his dad. You bet. Player when I was when I was in junior high and high school. So uh, now that he's got two guys, it's uh, coming full circle a little bit for me. But uh, certainly a talented family, and I think Jeremy Fears is a really good player. I mean, he's obviously ranked that. I think he'll probably finish top 75 as a recruit. And I think for Michigan State, they got a really good player. But uh, for Illinois. You know, it, does he fit? I, I just think, again, I, I think Brad Underwood is a is better arbiter than that, and I think he's done a pretty good job of 
of getting great guard play, right? Like this isn't 10 years ago when, man, you just wanted any good point guard you can get. Uh, they have good guards in the pipeline. They have good guards here. And, you know, I, I don't know what the, the future holds for Andre Corbello either. And, and you know, his concern is shooting, but he's so good in everything else that uh, you feel like you can take a guy like that, especially when he was joining the roster he did. So um, Brad Underwood has a pretty good idea of what he needs, and uh, they think they can get uh, somebody else who's a better fit. Talking to Jeremy Werner, we'll get back to uh, basketball in a, a moment, but I wanted to touch on the uh, football story that uh, you were the first to report this week, uh, Jeremy, on the, a uh, decision made on the offensive coordinator. Tony Peterson will not be back, and uh, Brett Bielma, uh, last night about 7 o'clock, did confirm that. Uh, your thoughts on that, and uh, tell us a little bit about how you how you got that story, how you broke it. Uh, well, first of all, I, I just think it says a lot about Brett Bioma uh, and, you know, the fact that Tony Peterson was his first hire, guys, and, um, you know, like I, I was a little surprised when I saw the name. It wasn't the name I was considering because it wasn't one he worked with previously, uh, and, you know, Brett Bielma's kind of owning up that, hey, that didn't work out. I'm, I'm not going to double down on a mistake, uh, obviously, that he made because the offense wasn't very good this year. And I think the, the hard part for Tony Peterson was is he had to be juxtaposed to, to Ryan Walters all year. And Ryan Walters, these weren't his players, but he improved the defense from 14th in the Big Ten during conference play and scoring defense to fourth, right? He was able to mold the defense, mold the scheme, um, adjust to his players and, and have a lot of success. Uh, and it was a bowl-worthy defense, right? Um, the only reason this team did not make a bowl game was the offense. And I know Tony has to play according to how his defense is playing, but um, they regressed in, in every basically statistic this year from Rod Smith's offense a year prior, which wasn't all that great. So uh, I think Brett Bielma probably saw that he needed a different play caller, but he also maybe just needed somebody different to, to to have success in the Big Ten for the long term. Because I don't think it's just based on last year. It's about based on where Brett thought this thing was going. And if he didn't think it was going to have success, he pulls the plug after year one. It does sound like Barry Loney is, is, is the top guy here. I haven't heard if it's a done deal or not. But, you know, Barry Loney runs an offense that has similar principles in that they want to be physical, they want to run the football uh, but the passing uh, identity is certainly a, a lot different, right? We saw what UTSA did this past year with more run-pass options, more quick hitters, and, and just more aggression. I, I think the lack of aggression is, is really what Brett Bielma did not like. That uh, I think the defense dictated a lot of what Tony wanted to do. He thinks the offense should be more aggressive and dictate what the defense does. So I think after a year with Tony, he decided that this isn't what I want to be and decided to move on. That's a big move on a three-year contract. Um, but it tells tells everybody that Brett Bielma's not happy with five and seven. He's not happy with just, you know, competing in the Big Ten. I think he sees this past year, guys, the missed opportunity, that, that they could have gone bowling. They could have had the year that Purdue had uh, and because of the offense. Um, they didn't like it. Um, and, and obviously, he's got to trust Tony to, to, to fix the, the biggest problem, which is the quarterback position. And I, I don't know if he ended up trusting Tony to do that. So uh, it's a big move. It's a big move. It says a lot about Brett. says a lot about Josh Whitman and, and his support of resources here. And says that uh, Illinois isn't going to settle for just, you know, little steps forward. He wants to take some big steps forward and thinks he needs to change his offense coordinator to do that. Sounds like we're headed for our first million-dollar offensive coordinator. I, I, I'm going to guess that by uh, Jeremy. Uh, eight fired 
offensive coordinators in 13 years, if that's accurate. <laughs> Eight out of 13 years. What's that say about Illinois and their ability to be uh, to sustain anything over time? Well, it kind of reminds me of what Rutgers has been going through. I think they had nine straight years with a new offensive coordinator until they had the the guy they've had the last three years now, Sean Gleason. Um, I think it says, Warren, that they, Illinois is struggling with the quarterback position, right? Like it is, it is constant that they have not been able to get the answer there. Um, they keep going. I, I don't mind going with transfers, right? Because that that's kind of the way quarterback position is like, great programs are getting transfer quarterbacks now and that doesn't bother but it also shows that there hasn't been a prep solution since nathan shieldhouse um that's right it's been a long time uh, mike loxley was involved in the recruitment of, of nathan shieldhouse right that takes you back of, of how long uh it has been um i think it also says something about what you have to do to succeed in the big 10 west especially i, I think Maybe Brett Bielma realizes, maybe I can't out Iowa, Iowa. Maybe I can't out Wisconsin, Wisconsin. And then maybe, yes, we can be physical. We got to win in the trenches. Um, but Northwestern has struggled offensively, right? And, and they've had to do some different wrinkles. I think you have to do, um, you have to win in the trenches, but you also have to do something a little bit different uh, to beat those teams at their own game. Maybe Nebraska is a little bit too different with what they've been doing here recently. And they've kind of run the spread scheme that hasn't, uh, succeeded uh, under Scott Frost, though I think defense has been their bigger bigger issue. Uh, but I think you got to throw some more wrinkles in there and, and modernize it a little bit because you know Tony and, and Brett were kind of running what Tony and Brett ran uh, a decade plus ago at, at Minnesota uh, and Wisconsin, and and maybe they got to put uh, their own little aggressive, uh, a little bit more modern kind of uh, twist on it. Talking a lot of sports with uh, Jeremy Werner from the Illini Inquirer. 24-7 sports. Let's go back to basketball. Interesting night, fun night at uh, State Farm Center on Thursday with a win over Maryland and the Io Dusumu festivities around there. Then Io comes back last night with a career high so far in the NBA with an 18-point game. Just kind of a good week for Io, eh? Yeah, he's pretty good, huh? Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's been amazing to watch his journey, guys. Uh, and, and to think of, you know, I keep going back to five years ago at the Jordan Brand store when as you guys know, like Illinois fans have been waiting for a decade for one of the top in-state kids to come and save them, to, to come and resuscitate their program. And, and whether it was Jaleel Okafor, Derek Rose, or Cliff Alexander, Jalen Brunson, and, and they keep going to Blue Bloods, and who can blame those kids, right? Like um, Illinois wasn't showing what they needed to show. And, and they kind of find a guy in their wheelhouse. They find the coach, Brad Underwood, and the, the recruiter in Chin Coleman that kind of lines up. They find a recruitment that didn't have uh, the Dukes and Kansas is, is involved. And Io just embraces all of this pressure. And, and maybe, like, I, I kept saying, guys, maybe he's not the savior, but he's a really good basketball player. Um, but he embraced all of that. And, and he wanted that kind of pressure. And, and for him to live up to all of it, I know he didn't have the NCAA tournament run he wanted because of a pandemic and then an upset loss, but uh, for him to live up to all of it and be one of the greatest players in Illinois basketball history, and along with Kofi Coburn kind of, and, you know, Andres Felice and Trent Frazier and Demonte Williams kind of lead this resurgence. Um, he deserved that night. Uh, and, and to have his teammate, DeMar DeRozan, guys, uh, an MVP candidate, um, you know, four-time all-star, going to be five-time show up, I think says a lot about DeMar, but it also says a lot about uh, Io DeSumo. So uh, just one of the icons. Um, you know, there's a lot, there's been a couple good number 11s here in this century at Illinois basketball. And, you know, he and D Brown are, 
are, are two of the most beloved Illini for a reason. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it was a pretty cool night. And, and you can tell how much it means to Io. And, and think about, you know, if he doesn't come back for a second year, he certainly doesn't have that night. If he doesn't come back for the third year, I don't know if he has that night. So uh, all of that stuff really mattered to him. And it's a kudos to his family. It's just a great support system that, that prepared him for, for all the pressures, for all the – you know, all the work that was necess- that was necessary for, for him to be as good as he is. And, uh, he, man, he had a great night last night, 18 points, and, and they love him. Uh, they love him in the Chicago Bulls and for all the reasons that uh, Illinois people love him. We do have the phone lines open. Let's go to Bob in Urbana. Bob, you're on the air with us. Go ahead. Yes, hi. Thanks for taking my call. Um, my question is uh, for you guys to discuss the NET Sagarin and Ken Palm and how it relates to Illinois and why Illinois is in the top 10 and top 11, top 15 of those ranking systems. And that has to do with something about recruiting and also system because we haven't been that high. And I looked down the list, there's 335 or so many teams. And here we are sitting in the top 10, top 15. How does this relate to what Brad Underwood is doing? Thank you take, for taking my call. Okay, Bob, appreciate the call. Go ahead, Jeremy, with uh, with that. Yeah, it's all based on analytics, uh, and a lot of it has to do with efficiency, uh, schedule, strength, all of those different things. And right now, Illinois is, I think, you know, what we've seen, guys, is since that Marquette and Cincinnati game is we see a team that looks like a top 20, top 15 team in the country, and the numbers back that up. I think uh, T-Rank is another one, uh, Tavoric that does this, and, and he has them as the number one team in the country since, uh, the start of December, um, and, and they've won what nine, like ten of eleven or nine of uh, ten since then. So makes a lot of sense. The one team they've lost to is Arizona, who's ranked in the top ten of all of those, and it's only a four-point loss. So margin of victory, all those things. It's just analytics that say this team is this good offensively. Where they have Illinois, Ken Palm is ten offensive efficiency right now, defensively twenty-seventh, and I, I think finally the AP poll might catch up to that um, for whatever reason. Illinois the last couple of weeks is, is not kind of left some of these teams. I think they're better than because of those early losses. But um, I, I think you've seen this team hold for about 10 games and they're nine and one with a loss to what I think is a top five team in the country in Arizona. So I think it just says you got a really good basketball team right now. Yeah. Now I'm going to throw something at you here because I don't want to take anything away from what Illinois has done, but, and the schedule, if you look at it in the preseason, was really good, but it does turn out. It does. It did, it did so happen that Kansas State and Missouri and Rutgers and uh, Minnesota and Maryland didn't turn out to be as good as uh, projected maybe early. In other words, Illinois has beaten a series of teams that were that are good on paper, but but they are all of these teams are less. Even Iowa are less than they were a year ago. Is that fair, Jeremy? Yeah, uh, I think, Warren, I don't know if this is a, an elite team, right? I, I don't know if this is a, a great team nationally. If, if you're saying top five, going to a serious run at a Final Four, um, I think their one great win so far is at Iowa, because even though Iowa I don't think is a great team, it, it's a road win. They're, they're top 25 in these analytics right now. It's a quad one win. Uh, they only have one win in the top 50 in the Kempom ratings right mm-hmm. now. So, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of tests coming up. That's why if they play this Michigan game, even though Michigan's struggling, that's a bigger test. Purdue, obviously, next Monday is a bigger test. Michigan State later this this month. But I will say this, Lauren, I don't think the Big Ten's all that good. 
as good as the individual players are in, in this conference, the Big Ten is not as good as it was last year. So if you're just asking how you stack up in the Big Ten, um, I think this team, Purdue, Ohio State, Michigan State, are the best teams. And I think Illinois has a chance to, to win the Big Ten because Kofi Coburn just gives them such a high floor and everybody outside of Arizona has not really had an answer for him. And I don't know if there is a team in the league. Now, Michigan State, I think, can battle him with Bingham and a couple other bigs. Purdue obviously has some big dudes, but you know, Kofi has, has kind of owned them the last couple of years. Uh, I think Illinois can do really well during Big Ten play. Uh, if you're asking how they match up against Gonzaga, Arizona, Duke, all those teams, yeah, I think uh, Illinois has got some issues. And, and we saw against Dante Scott the other night, guarding the four, guarding a really good four coming up like E.J. Liddell. is going to be very difficult for them. But I think this is a team that should win 13, 14 games in the Big Ten based on how they're playing right now. Are we undervaluing uh, Wisconsin again? They went into Purdue oh, and got yeah. a win. <laughs> We always do. I don't know. If, I don't know if we're undervaluing Wisconsin, but we we certainly undervalue Johnny Davis. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know how good the rest of that team is, guys. But uh, Johnny Davis is is an amazing story. Like most people didn't have him in the top 100 college basketball players coming this year, and why would they? He averaged seven points on a team that was kind of in turmoil last year, but now probably, uh, you know, at least nationally. I don't know if Illinois fans like this, but the National Player of the Year candidate. So, yeah, you have a player like that, you can be special. I just don't know if they have the depth uh, to match up with some of these other teams in the Big Ten. But I say that, and they've won against Purdue on the road. They've beaten Iowa. They've beaten Indiana. Uh, So maybe that is a team that, again, finishes top four, top five, um, you know, and can give teams problems just because if you have a superstar like that and you play at the pace they do, um, you can give a lot of teams fit. So, yeah, maybe I should mention them. Uh, in, among that top five that maybe they can, at the end of the year, be one of those teams that's in the 13, 14, 15 win mark. Got another call. Let's go to Mark in Urbana. You're on the air with us. Go ahead, Mark. Good morning, guys. Um, I got a football question and a basketball question um, for Jeremy and, and, and all of you guys. I guess the basketball question is, with fears not coming to Illinois and seem like, you know, uh, coach uh, kind of, you know, uh, going a different direction, and with the Fears family being close to the Boswell family, uh, how much damage, you know, does that do, you know, as far as the Boswell, um, pursuing Boswell? And then my football question is, um, with the possible changing of the, well, with the uh, possibly the San Antonio coordinator coming in, uh, do that change the style of quarterback that the U of I have been looking for? And I'll hang up and listen. You guys have a great day. Okay, Mark, uh, we appreciate the call. Jeremy, your thoughts on uh, the first part of that question? Yeah, I mean, I, I know Boswell and Fears know each other pretty well. The families know each other pretty well. Uh, I've always thought, yeah, we can fans can dream about Fears and Boswell coming to the same place, but probably not likely that two uh, highly ranked point guards are going to go to the same place. Um, now, I think Illinois is, is one of the top schools for Boswell. I, I know Arizona, some others are in the mix. Uh, it's going to be tough to, to win that recruitment, right? I know he's from Champaign. You try and bring him back home. But, um, yeah, I don't, I don't think Fierce should have that big of a role there. Um, as for the, the quarterback question, it's one of my biggest questions. Uh, if that truly is the hire or if it's some other, some other offensive coordinators, how much changes with what they're looking for in, in quarterbacks. I think Tommy DeVito guys can, can play in what UTSA likes to run. Um, he's a pretty good athlete. 
you're not going to run him like you ran Frank Harris this past year at UTSA. I don't think he's a guy you want to run 100 times, and he's had an injury uh, history, but he can move. I think it's more the threat of the run. I, I know Warren's, Warren and I are probably on the same path here. I, I know we've talked about it before. Like, you got to be able to run. It, it just pushes as a quarterback because it just puts so much stress on a defense and opens up so much. Uh, and if, if defenses have to worry about a quarterback running, it's basically 11 on 10 instead of 11 on 9. Um, so I, I think they're gonna they're gonna use that whether it's run pass options, uh, you know, a little bit of quarterback run. I just expect a little bit more of that. But I think Tommy DeVito can do that. Donovan Leary can run a little bit. He's a, he's a solid athlete. I don't think you're gonna go back to like an Isaiah Williams guy, but I do think quarterbacks in the future will have a little bit more of a running ability. Hey Jeremy, we appreciate your time as always. Keep up the good work and uh, let the fans know how they can. Uh find what you guys are doing these days. Yeah, let, let us know yeah. when they hire a, an offensive coordinator, <laughs> would you, Jeremy? They don't seem to want to tell us. <laughs> uh, hopefully, hopefully it'll be soon. I, I think they probably want to do it all at once, and we'll, we'll see if they can wrap up the deal. You know the, the processes sometimes they have to go through, but uh, just check us out at Line Inquirer at 247sports.com slash college slash Illinois. Good stuff, Jeremy. We appreciate your time. Thanks. Thanks, guys. You bet. Jeremy Werner is with us from the – 24-7 Sports Network, and I inquire at 9.53. And a text come in about uh, Steve Stricker. We were talking about him uh, earlier, and the question was, is he in the Illinois Athletic Hall of Fame? Yes, indeed, in the first class back in 2017. So that was a no, one of the no-brainers yeah. <laughs> of uh, the Illinois Hall of Fame. We'll take a break at 9.54 and be back with more here in this first hour of Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Phone lines are open and we're back after this. 9.56, Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. And if you've been considering replacing uh, the doors in your home, you probably already are aware that the most important doors are the entry door and the patio door. Well, a trip to the Pella Window Store at 1001 North Country Fair Drive in Champaign will help clear up what uh, could be an overwhelming kind of situation. Mike Mary and uh, his uh, team at the Pella Window Store have been fixtures in this community for many years now, going on 40, 50 years. There are many choices in windows and doors, and the Pella Window Store has a whole bunch of those uh, patio doors on display in their showroom. That's the best way to see them. They will not only help you decide what's best for you, they'll stand behind them with a limited lifetime warranty. Illini Pella offers a one-stop shopping, products, installation, and financing. Window and uh, door shopping is not something you do every day, so you want to get it right. Do your research, set your budget, then work with the pros at the Pella Window Store, then show off your new windows and doors to family and friends when the project is done. The Pella Window Store, 1001 North Country Fair Drive in Champaign. Open Monday through Friday, 8 to 5, Saturday by appointment. They also have stores in Danville, Decatur, and Bloomington. Check them out online at PellaOfChampaign.com. Say hi to Mike Mary and the team at the Pella Window Store in Champaign. If you're in the market for windows or doors in 2022, and you might uh, look down the road a little bit because... Uh, with the whole uh, shipping situation and uh, things that, that get slowed down a little bit because of everything going on around the world, you might want to plan out and uh, give yourself plenty of time for them to get those products in. 9.57, we mentioned the Michigan-Michigan State game scheduled for today will not be played, will be postponed. 
and Michigan has a game, you say Tuesday, against uh, Purdue, and then the game Friday in Champaign. Yeah, we don't know what to expect now because they'll also be trying to work that game with Michigan State back into the Michigan schedule. Be a little difficult this week with games on Tuesday and and Friday, and uh, you know, if you put it in this week, it would be uh, they'd have to play on consecutive nights. I know they don't want to do that. No, there's got to be a time, you know, through later on, later on in January, February, to get that done. Yeah, um, yeah, you got to, you just got to do the best you can, and it won't be the. <laughs> this is a short trip. It won't be yeah, exactly. <laughs> it won't be the the last one they have to deal with for sure. Purdue plays at Penn State at eleven. Nebraska at Rutgers at <laughs> one. Those are the. Uh, now two games on the Saturday schedule. Then tomorrow, Minnesota is at Indiana, Northwestern at Ohio State, and Wisconsin at Maryland. Nice win for Indiana the other night over uh, say, the Buckeyes. Yeah, uh, Jackson Davis kind of carried that team that night. And again, for the second game in a row, uh, E.J. Liddell had a really rough night shooting, scoring, and they need him. They need him in the 20s because the guard play at Ohio State isn't quite what they had hoped it would be this year, and that seems to be a, a big part of their problem. They're very fortunate to have a, a, a previous win in the Big Ten, you know, when they when they snuck it in in the last seconds because of missed free throws, and and so uh, this is this Ohio State team right now uh, does not appear as strong as as we thought earlier. Well, they did a heck of a job defensively. They held them to what fifty three points, I think it yeah. was in that game. Yeah. And Ohio State had been uh, putting up a lot of points, and but they hadn't played for a while either, and uh, so who knows how that uh, is going to play out. But uh, anytime you're on the road in the Big Ten, it's not going to be easy, despite what uh, Illinois did in Minnesota. It's hard to evaluate any teams unless you know what's going on internally. Right. And we don't know what's going on internally at Ohio State. We know at Illinois we have a much better idea, and it's amazing they've done as well as they have, all things considered. First hour of Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk is in the books. It is 10 o'clock, WDWS, Champaign-Urbana. And we'll be back with hour number two after this. Stay with us. It's the second hour of Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk on News Talk 1400 and 93.9 FM, WDWS, Champaign-Urbana. Join the program by calling 217-356-9397 or send a text to the Castle Heating and Cooling text line, 217-351-5357. Here again are your hosts, Lauren Tate and Steve Kelly. Welcome back to the program, everybody. We are headed towards 11 o'clock. And indeed, as Gene Honda said, the phone lines are open, 217-356-9397. With Lauren Tate, I'm Steve Kelly. We're happy to welcome to the program former Illini tight end, out of Streeter, Illinois, Doug Deacon, who has a quite a career uh, wrapping up with the Cleveland Browns. Doug is on the line with us in Cleveland. Good morning, Doug. How are you, sir? Good morning, Steve. Good morning, Lauren. Good morning. Lauren is <laughs> wide awake this morning, and they're ready to go, and uh, looking forward to talking to you. Uh, you played 14 years uh, with the Browns uh, on the offensive line. Did you ever miss a game? No, I didn't. I uh Actually, I didn't know it uh, until a couple of years ago. I was in the, seeing my brother in the hospital in Cleveland here, and I was sitting in the waiting room, and the guy was asking me about, you play football, yeah? And he says, uh, who for? I said, the Browns. And then he asked me my name, and I told him. So I go back the next day, and he says, hey, you hold the record for most consecutive starts. <laughs> I said, well, yeah. I said, yeah, for the Browns. He says, no, no, for tackles in the league. And I said, you got to be kidding me. He pulls up this app, and he shows me this thing, and it 
you know, 203 or 194 consecutive starts for uh, a right or left tackle was the highest ever. So, uh, you know, kind of fortunate to survive for 14 years. Well, Doug, what made them think that you could play tackle after you played tight end for Illinois? Was it your blocking? I have no idea. <laughs> you know, the the irony of the whole deal, you know, obviously uh, there weren't a lot of scouts coming through Illinois when we were there because, of, you know, the, the there wasn't a lot of wins. And uh, I think, you know, scouts always look to winning teams. And the only guy I ever remember uh, coming through as a scout was Lou Groza. And Lou had played tackle with the Browns and, uh, you know, the next thing I know, I get, you know, drafted uh, by the Browns and uh, it's time to negotiate a contract. And uh, my dear friend Stan Wallace invited me down to stands. And I went down there and he had Abe Gibbon in there. And Abe, uh, Abe negotiate, told me how to negotiate a contract as he drank about eight beers. And uh, <laughs> He can handle them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He says, he says, Tom, you want this, this, and this, or are you going to get an agent? And uh <laughs> that's the way it went back in those days. Of course, you know, in those days, the uh, signing bonuses and the, the uh, salaries were a little different. Well, uh, in, in any case, you reported in. I guess they gave you a number 73, so you knew what was happening, huh? Yeah, I knew what was happening. And, uh, <laughs> you know, as, as, as my rookie year, you know, basically uh, I, the first six or seven games of the uh, season, I played uh, – on special teams and you know i guess you know having been a tight end and even a wide receiver my sophomore year uh, i had you know an opportunity to do some of those things and uh you know it it got me on the team and uh you know later on in the season i replaced dick shafraff uh at left tackle and you know i was still covering kicks and covering punts and uh uh on the punt return team and the kickoff return team and I was a starter at uh, left tackle at the same time. I don't know how many left tackles today would be able to do that. <laughs> how, how did you get through all that without basically any injuries? Well, we uh, we had a few injuries. We you know we had a couple uh, knee operations, and uh, uh, the first time I, I tore cartilage in my knee, they, the the old school way was to take a diathogram where they would inject some dye and they take an X-ray. And I go in to see the trainer, and he says. He's smoking a cigar in his uh, in the training room. He says, "Hey, kid, you got a torn cartilage. Here's what you can do: you can get a cut on. You're done for the rest of the year, or for the good of the team, you can tape it up and play. What do you want to do?" <laughs> <laughs> so I taped it up, and I, you know, I played the, the second half of that year, and then the next year I tear my other knee in a uh, the last preseason game, and I go in, and he says. Hey kid, you know how it goes. Just tape it up and we'll play. And so, uh, you know, we played through some, you know, injuries. And you know, obviously, at that point in time, you, you didn't think about it. But now, you know, that I'm in my 70s and I've got two artificial knees and two artificial hips, I'm thinking some of those leg whips weren't probably the best idea. <laughs> oh boy, who were some of the the toughest guys that you had to go against in the NFL? Uh, I, you know, ironically, my first game that I, I went in and played as a, a tackle in an NFL regular season game, I, I played maybe two or three quarters of the preseason, uh, the right tackle got hurt. So they put me in uh, in place of him, and I grew Claude Humphrey, who, you know, is now I helped put in the Hall of Fame. But uh, <laughs> on my on, on my side, uh, the guy that was always, you know, one of the toughest guys, and he's now in the Hall of Fame, is Alvin Bethea who played for the Houston Oilers and, uh, you know, we played, they were in our division. So we played them twice a year. And, uh, I think I played Alvin 13 years in a row, twice a year. And, uh, uh, he, he was a great player. Coy Bacon, uh, the, 
a great defensive end for the Rams and the Bengals. Uh, he was another one who was was good. And Joe Klecko. Joe uh, uh, was a guy that, you know, he, he made the, the Pro Bowl not only a nose tackle, a, a defensive tackle, and his defensive end. And he's a guy I think that really belongs in the Hall of Fame. Hey, Doug, I want to talk to you about the, the moves of uh, Cleveland uh, in football and, and with Modell and, and to Baltimore and then getting a team back. What where were you during all this time, and, and what was your? Would you have any involvement in, in in any of that stuff? No, you know what happened was, you know the the city uh, built a new baseball stadium for the Indians and uh, now the Guardians, and uh, you know in doing so, the, the, our stadium, the football stadium where the Indians used to play, was you know kind of dilapidated, and you know they needed a new stadium there, but the city you know gave all the attention to the the baseball. And Art Modell, uh, what really hurt him was when free agency came in, he didn't have the money. He was a millionaire in a billionaire's game, and he didn't have the money to you know, have these big signing bonuses and everything that guys were demanding. So, uh, you know, they he couldn't get the stadium, so he, you know, he moved the team. And it was the wrong thing to do. Uh, you know, it hurt a lot of people here. But, you know, I think you have to look at it as, you know, it was a decision for his family that, you know, he had to make because – uh, otherwise, you know, he w- he wasn't going to last, and he was going to have to sell it. And so then the Browns came back in, you know, '99, and Al Lerner was the owner of the team. Uh, and Al had actually been a partner with uh, Art Modell when Art owned the team. And uh, they, uh, the Lerner family, took it over. And then, uh, you know, a few years ago, they sold it uh, to the Haslam uh, family. Well, no, there were three years in which Cleveland had no team. Is that right? Yeah, there was three years they didn't have it, and. Uh, they had a Cleveland Browns trust, and uh, they hired me as, uh, I guess, one of their spokespeople. And, uh, you know, I did radio shows and stuff just to kind of keep the interest alive for pro football till the team came back. And, uh, you know, they came back in 99, and uh, the NFL, after they restocked uh, with the expansion to Jacksonville and Baltimore, or Jacksonville and Carolina, uh, you know, they those teams had success, you know, within a couple years. And they thought maybe they did too much for those teams. So when the, the Browns came back, they weren't quite as generous. So, so it was really hard for the Browns to get back on a winning track, huh? Yes, it was. And, you know, obviously the record, uh, you know, over the course of, you know, since they did come back, you know, reflects it. I think we've been in the playoffs maybe twice, uh, you know, in what, uh, 30-some years. Or, and uh, it's, you know, it's it's been tough on the fan base here, but, you know, uh, you know, you in in the NFL, you're always hopeful that you know tomorrow is going to be a better day. What uh, what about this season? What can you say about this? this is your last season broadcasting for them? Is that correct? Yeah, uh, tomorrow is going to be my last game. Uh, I think uh, we've got uh, well, if you counted the three years in which you're gone, it'll be 51 years. But uh, between playing and uh, uh, broadcasting, it's you know 48 years. Okay, well. Uh, what what do you see about the uh, uh, the brown the future of the Browns right now in terms of trying to rebuild? They're still rebuilding, I guess you'd say, huh? Well, they you know the the one thing this year in the draft and uh, free agency they tried to upgrade was their defense. And starting the season it was a little rugged, uh, but as the season progressed, it got better and better. Uh, the offense you kind of thought that you you know you had it. Uh, we have two great running backs in uh, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. And then you you know you've got you had Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry were your wide receivers. They signed Austin Hooper in free agency a couple of years ago from Atlanta, 
and you, you thought that you know you were loaded on the offensive side, but the offense just hasn't clicked this year. They've only had a couple games where you sat there and said, "Well, we played a complete game as you know on defense and offense," and uh, the defense is growing and the offense has gone in the other direction. And you know when you got you know great backs and uh, you got a great offensive line, you know they've invested a lot of money in that. Uh, you know it comes down to you know what this, uh, happens on Sunday and. The quarterback, unfortunately, in the second game, Baker Mayfield of the year, uh, tore his uh, labrum in his left shoulder, and he just, you know, he he hasn't been the same player that he was the year before. Talking to Doug Deacon, former Illinois tight end, do you you have any idea who will replace you in the radio booth yet? No, uh, you know, this, you know, I I would obviously like to see a, you know, former player do it. You know, I think, you know, when you, you've played the game, you have a little bit of understanding of what guys are going through. You know, it's just uh, not he missed that block. There's reasons why things happen. And, uh, you know, we've got a lot of, you know, guys that, uh, you know, have played here, uh, you know, that you'd, you'd like to see. And, you know, one of the guys uh, whose name I will probably come up is Joe Thomas. You know, Joe was mm-hmm. you know, is a Hall of Fame uh, t- tackle uh, in the future here. But uh, you know, there's you know guys like Dequell Jackson, who who is one of the greatest you know guys in the locker room that I've ever been around, and uh, Bernie Kosar has you know always been around the team ever since he left. So, you know, there's there's a lot of you know capable ex players that you you know you'd like to see you know inserted in there. Well, Doug, you um, you've seen a lot of Illinois football over the time, and you came during during a very uh, heated period during the uh, right after. Uh, Pete Elliott was uh, ousted, and Jim Valick became the coach, and and it's kind of been a bumpy ride ever since. <laughs> what what's your well, what, what's your feeling about Illinois basketball football? Well, you know, uh, Pete Elliott recruited me, and uh, Pete is was one of the, the the most fantastic people I've ever been around. Right. Uh, in fact, when when he went on to be the head of the Hall of Fame, I used to go down and play golf with Pete. And I'd shoot like 98, and then Pete would shoot like 73, and uh, we'd walk off the golf course, and he'd go to me, "Boy, you played good today." I'd look <laughs> at him, <laughs> "Didn't you have your eyes open, Pete?" <laughs> but no, Pete, 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 Pete was uh, just—I mean, you know—an athlete might be able to say no to Pete, but his parents never could. But you know, I signed to go to Illinois, and then the slush fund hit, and uh, Jim Ballack had actually sent me letters from Army when he was there. And, uh, you know, they, they, uh, they gave the big 10 gave me an option or the NCAA to drop out of the, uh, or I could go to another school if I wanted because of it. And I said, no, both my parents were Illinois graduates and that's where I was going to go. And unfortunately, you know, um, it, it hurt our recruiting class because I think of the 30 some scholarships that uh, we gave out, I think there was only maybe four of us, uh, that, uh, you know, were left by the time my senior year came around and, one of those was, you know, Tim McCarthy, and Tim, of course, was a walk-on that earned a scholarship and became my hero when he stepped in front of that bullet for President Reagan. Uh, Tim is, you know, a guy that uh, when you talk about, you know, having a, a job description uh, and uh, doing it the right way, uh, Tim, Tim is, he's my hero. Yeah. Is he still up around the Chicago area? Yeah, he is. He uh, retired as the chief of police in Orland Park, and then somebody else snatched him up because somebody uh, left. And uh, Tim is just uh, just good people and uh, uh, a, a dear friend. And, and you know, like I said, you know, I think a hero to anybody who ever saw what happened on that day. Another minute or two with Doug Deacon. I ask you about some of the toughest guys you went against. What about uh, 
some of your favorite teammates, some of the guys you played with uh, over the 14 years with the Browns that will always stick in your memory? Well, I think the guys on the offensive line. I think, you know, when you, you play in a sport and you get five guys trying to play as one, you, you build a, a great relationship with those guys. And when I started, I played next to Gene Hickerson. Uh, Gene, you know, eventually went into the Hall of Fame. But uh, Gene was uh, unbelievable talent. And then he was replaced later on by Robert Jackson and all those guys. But uh, when I started uh, my first year on the team, Gary Collins was a wide receiver. And Gary had caught uh, three touchdown passes in the 64 championship team. And me being a wide receiver coming out of high school, he was kind of my hero. And, uh, you know, and I uh, got a chance to play with him. Leroy Kelly was the running back. Leroy's now in the Hall of Fame. But uh, Brian Seip, the quarterback, won the league MVP in 1980. Brian was a, a great guy. And, you know, a lot of quarterbacks get a big head when they're successful, not Brian. Brian was always the ultimate team player. And, you know, you admire guys like that. And then there was a little running back named Dino Hall. Uh, he was probably about 5'6 and, and weighed 165 pounds. But, you know, he was a, the toughest 165 pounds I ever played with. You know, I just wanted to mention one thing. I said that you were a tight end coming out of Illinois. Was were were, were receivers really designated as, as wide receivers and tight ends in those days? It looks to me like it was a kind of a a mixture at that time before we really had definitive tight ends. Is that accurate? Uh, yeah. No, I think you know. Uh, I was like I said, I was a wide receiver because uh, uh, I'm trying to think uh, who. Lenny Wislow, I think, was the tight end. Yeah. And then, uh, then they moved me down inside because I think Lenny uh, left the team. And uh, I became a tight end. And, uh, you know, it's, it was one of those, you know, that, uh, you know, it, you always you keep going down the ladder. You know, when you go from uh, a wide receiver to tight end to uh, uh, offensive tackle, it's it's like you, 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 you're just getting bigger and bigger and uh, slower and slower. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it worked for me. But I think, you know, the way I look at it and I look back at it, well, one of the reasons that, you know, I was able to play uh, the offensive tackle was I played basketball. And the concept of staying between your man and the basket in basketball and then uh, play, staying between your man and the quarterback in football is pretty much the same. And uh, I always used to say, you know, my philosophy was I'd uh, – you know, playing tackle was like a boxing match that if you started to lose, you know, you turned it into a street fight. <laughs> and, uh, you know, in, in doing so, you know, I, I had a few holding penalties along the way. And in fact, when I retired from playing, I live in Bay Village and uh, the city uh, workers painted a yellow line from my house down to the cemetery, maybe about a half a mile down the road. Uh, and it was to represent all the uh, yards I had in holding <laughs> to, to the point then, then, then my, you know, I'd be driving down the street, somebody would see me and they'd give me the holding signal. So I'd say, I, 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 I can, I can go along with the, the humor. I mean, cause if you don't have a sense of humor in the sports, you'll burn out. And, uh, so I changed my license plate to me hold. And, uh, well, then when oh, I retired, great. somebody had Somebody, when I retired, somebody had the, uh, you know, uh, idea of, you know, putting white tape over the H so it said me old. So <laughs> well, then I, I changed, I changed the license plate. I went to past tense. I went to me held. And then when I turned 70 a couple years ago, I went back to the me hold.
Well, you're not old yet. Just remember that. You're not old yet with (laughs) me. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. I I was thinking about that, Lauren. You've been there a long, long time. You thought thought Lauren was old back when you knew him back as a player. (laughs) He was was Mr. Tate back then. (laughs) Hey, Doug, go ahead. I I was going to say, you know, the funny thing of, you know, the irony of the whole situation was, I had uh, never seen a pro game live until 1970. My dad uh, took me up to a Bears game, and uh, that that was the first time I'd ever gone to a a live football game. And it just turned out they were playing uh, the Cleveland Browns. And uh, the Browns Browns had a running back named Ron Johnson, and Dick hit him. I thought he killed a guy. And, And talking to Dick, you know, one day I, when, when we had a reunion of the Pete's guys, uh, Dick was there and I said, uh, I said, Dick, can you take a picture with me and the coach? Because you were his best recruit and I was his last recruit. <laughs> so, uh, that's one of my favorite pictures, uh, is, uh, you know, Pete and, you know, and Jim, unfortunately, Jim, you know, he, the deck was stacked against him because he got the job so late. Uh, and, you know, like I said, our recruiting class, you know, guys, you know, opted out and went elsewhere and it, it was just, you know, unfortunate. And, uh, Jim was a good people and Lois's wife was good. They were, she was a beautiful lady. And I remember, um, my, uh, end of my junior year, uh, some of the boosters asked me to come over to their house and, and they said, you know, Hey, we want you to tell the coach, he's got to fire some of those assistants or, uh, he's not going to keep his job. And I, I said, you want me to go tell the coach that? And so I went over to you know Jim's office one day and I said, Jim, and he said, you know, I know. And, uh, that they're you know after me and then when uh, obviously uh, uh, they they let him go in the middle of the season and uh, it just didn't seem the right thing and at that point in time there never had been a coach fired I think in the colleges in the middle of the season and uh, we decided that uh, you know uh, we stood up and said hey you know if he's not here we're not going to be here and uh, so, you were the spokesman you know, in that. Yeah. I remember that now. You oh, were yeah. you were the guy that <laughs> stood up and said if if you fire, they were going to bring Ray Elliott in to coach the rest of the season. I believe, isn't that right? Uh, no, I thought they were going to make uh, Lou Baker the head coach. Is okay, what I thought they were going to do, but but uh, yeah, and so you know, as it turned out, uh, they rehired him for the remainder of the season, and we went over to uh, uh, Purdue and we won the game, and you know, uh, it, you know, I guess. You know, I think of the Illinois song, We're Loyal to Illinois, and, you know, loyalty is a big thing in, you know, my life, and uh, I think, you know, uh, I thought we did the proper thing in showing our loyalty to, you know, Jim, and uh, and at the end of the season, they let him go, and Jim went down to Dallas uh, with the, the Cowboys, and, uh, you know, we remained friends, and, uh, you know, it was, it was a sad point, you know, in time, but it was one of those that, uh, uh, you know, Sometimes you make split decisions and you react, you know, uh, I, you know, I don't regret being a loyal person. You caught 89 passes uh, in your career at uh, Illinois. Did the Browns ever make you a tackle eligible receiver in any plays? Yeah, we had a, um, we had a fake field goal one time, uh, 1982 against the Houston Oilers and, um, Paul McDonald was supposed to throw it to the kicker, Matt Barr, but I became so wide open, you know, he threw it to me and, uh, I, I caught a touchdown pass. And so 
I was one for one, and I used to kid Ozzie Newsom, you know, who was a teammate later in the Hall of Fame, that my average was better than his. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, and, and they did it once in a in a exhibition game. But uh, now it, you know, it, you know, I, I sit there and I look back and I say, you know, how many tackles today, you know, a have caught a touchdown pass, you know, b blocked a punt, uh, c scored a safety. You know, and uh, those that rookie year on the special teams and uh, was just it was, it was fun fun to do because uh, it gave you an, a an opportunity to play and let the coaches see that you know you you were athletic enough that you could do some things and uh, uh, make some plays for them and uh, you know it it uh, it turned out to be pretty good and it lasted a long time. So you're going to be able to get through your broadcast okay tomorrow? You think? <laughs> I hope so. You know, that's, you know, it, it's a challenge that, you, you know, you think about. And, uh, you know, I, uh, it, it'll, it'll be emotional. And I think they've got some stuff planned. Uh, I let Connie, uh, my uh, wife or ex-wife, uh, she's in charge of it. And we're best of friends. And uh, so my kids will be there. And, you know, unfortunately, I didn't get married till after my uh, pro career was over. So my kids never really got a chance to see me play. And, you know, that's something, you know, as I look back, you know, I wish they would have, you know, been around to see what dad uh, did for a living. But, uh, you know, my, my uh, daughter and son will be there. And then my two grandkids will be there. My brothers uh, came in from Streeter. Uh, he, he's going to be there. And uh, a couple other guys that uh, were from Illinois, uh, Steve Bramer uh, is coming in. And I think, uh, Tim McCarthy was trying to to make it too, so you know it'll be nice to see, you know, some of the guys that I you know, consider great friends. Doug, congratulations! We I consider you a friend too, and uh, have well, a good I one tomorrow. I consider you a friend, Lauren. Well, yeah, I, I appreciate that, and uh, you know, I look back. <laughs> I, I I my junior year, uh, they gave me an MVP trophy, and they spelt my name wrong. <laughs> they, they, they put happens. two two S's. They put two S's on Douglas, and then my senior year, after we pulled that uh, walkout with the team, uh, they forgot to give me a trophy. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, you know my my four years at Illinois were great. I I enjoyed it. I wish we would have won more games. Uh, you, know, I, you know I wish I could have had a chance to play for Pete Elliott because uh, uh, as I said, you know Pete uh, is just one of the nicest people I've ever been around, and so was Jim. But Jim was you know a little uh, rougher around the edges than Pete, but uh, they were both you know good human beings. That's Doug Deacon, everybody, former Illini tight end and former uh, longtime member of the Cleveland Browns as a player and 51 years overall with the organization. Will um, work his last radio game for the Browns tomorrow. I'm guessing you'll stay connected with the Browns uh, from here on out, won't you? Yeah, and I'll probably get a chance to get back and make a few more Illinois games than I have in the past. The last one I was uh, at was a couple years ago when they beat Wisconsin down there. So, oh, yeah, that was a good one. Uh, I, yeah, that was a great one, yeah. And I couldn't uh, wait to take a picture of the scoreboard and send it to Joe Thomas. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> well, thanks for your time, to, uh, Doug. Wisconsin. We sure appreciate it. Oh, thank you, guys. Okay, thanks, Lauren. Thanks, uh, uh, Steve. Okay, thank you. Doug Deacon okay. has been our guest, and we need to take a break. But we'll do. Uh, let's take a call first. Uh, John has been hanging on with us. John, you're on the air. Go ahead. Uh, hi, guys. Uh, yeah, I'm listening to you guys talk about the uh, possibilities for a new offensive coordinator, I was delighted to hear 
uh, oh, some indication that maybe we, we weren't going to be a wide-open uh, uh, running uh, or throwing football team, but we maybe would get a little more deception uh, in our passing game. And uh, I got so tired uh, in the last couple of years, at least, watching uh, other teams' quarterbacks. Every once in a while, you'd see somebody uh, roll to the right, and you'd see two defenders going with him. And lo and behold, they decided that he didn't have the ball. And the ball had got advanced down the field for a first down. And I, it doesn't take a lot of trickery or chicanery, I'd think, to uh, to have some of that and at least stop the defense from just zeroing in and trying to kill the quarterback and him standing back there and taking it. Yeah, and, mis- uh, misdirection is a big part of offense, and then we've got to have that, no question. Oh, I love this guy from uh, Purdue. You'll have to say his name, but uh, the the they're co. Oh yes, uh, you know I I hear a lot of people say, well, I don't know what he does. I say I know what he does. He doesn't tell the other team what he's going to do, <laughs> and his 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 guys seem to know pretty well. But the, uh, enough on that. And I'm. Uh, a remark about Iowa too, and I related. Uh, I'm kind of been relating to Iowa a little bit with uh, with our problems that we we've, we've had with our uh, 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 quarter. <laughs> I'm sorry, with our point guard being hurt. I think it's really helped this team in a way, and I and I really want to get him back. But I think it's allowed our our team to do one of the things that Iowa allowed him to do. You'd see Iowa when he'd, he'd just run the game for a while, and maybe after a while uh, you'd see, well, I haven't seen Iowa do much for five minutes. Well, he was watching the team operate, and they were learning how to operate without him. And I think that will come back to help us a little bit uh, if we do if we do get our, uh, our point guard back. And, Lauren, I had one other thing uh, to tell you. This is for Marty in the Carolinas. He wanted to know about Tom Young, mm-hmm. and uh, I looked through my old annual. I played for Young. The last year I played for Young and Armstrong was in, well, anywhere, was uh, 1952. Mm-hmm. And Tom Tom left after that season. As as I graduated, he left and went to Muhammad, and he's Muhammad, Monticello, and spent 20 years there. Mm-hmm. And uh, Tom, I, I, I dug out something that talked about his uh uh, his success at programs and so forth. And Tom, to me, of course, I know a lot of people feel this way about their own coach too, but Tom was one of the best coaches and one of the best men uh, that I ever knew. And Absolutely. He, you, he, was a, he was a great guy and a great coach. He was my, you know, I moved in next door to him when I got out of the Army. I bought a home in Monticello, bought a house, uh-huh. and I didn't live there very uh-huh. long because uh, – but I um, I live right next to Tom Young, and I I really respected him. And of course, I di- I didn't play for him. He came in after I was gone. But uh, he was he was a terrific coach. Oh yeah, and 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 just as the saying goes, just as just as good a person. Yeah. And I, I did a couple of things. I was absolutely no star for him, uh, but I loved for, playing for him, and uh, and he loved having me play for him because. Uh, I would do what he wanted me to do, and even if somebody else didn't like it, I I would do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
Tom, Tom, as you go through high school, you, there's three or four times going through high school that you think, I'm going to lie to the coach when he asks me what time I got to bed last night, you know, <laughs> things like that. And, and I wasn't breaking training, but if, if he told you to be in bed at 8 o'clock, he meant 8 o'clock. And there just was no argument, and you respected him for it. But every once in a while, you'd break that. And I'd think, I'm going to tell him I got to bed at 8 o'clock. And he'd step in front of me on the line. And what time you get to bed, John? I said, 9.30. Where'd you go? He did this to me one time. Where'd you go? And I told him, who are you with? And I told him, and uh, were you in bed at 9.30? Yes, I was. I thought it was all over. That was during that was during shoot arounds the night of the day of a game afternoon. That night, this game started, and 30 seconds into the game, I'm out. Didn't know why I'm out. And after he did that to me about three or four times, I knew why I was out. <laughs> and I had told him the truth, and I knew I knew a couple of guys that were in bed later than me, and it didn't affect their play, but. They lied to him, and he took it. I don't know why, <laughs> but he 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 beat me that whole game. With I bet you, I was in and out of that game twenty times, and every time I'm telling myself I'm not going back in. But when he, <laughs> he'd say get in there, I'd do it. I'd do it again. And you know, he never mentioned it. I never mentioned it. But boy, what a lesson! <laughs> you know. All right, but John. He left there. Uh, all righty. Thanks a lot. Yeah, appreciate the call. Bye. Thank you very much. 10, uh, 10.33, we'll take a break. We've got an open line the rest of the way. If you'd like to join us between now and 11 o'clock on Illini Palace Saturday Sports Talk. Back after this. 10.35, Illini Palace Saturday Sports Talk. I'll be back with you Monday night at the Esquire. Trent Meacham will join us former Illini guard, Champagne native, and uh, now doing some work for Big Ten Network. He's up there in the, in the office a lot, isn't he? I mean, he is. He's in studio. It's uh, interesting. There's been uh, at least one occasion where he had to, maybe two, he had to go to Chicago to call a game that was in Champagne yeah. <laughs> because they, there were particular nights where they didn't send the announcers to the location. They don't always do that, but that's, you know, it seems like, you know, you got a guy right in town. There ought to be a way to have him go to that town. And it happens in other cities as well, as well I'm sure. But uh, um, So that'll be, uh, Trent will be the guest Monday night at the Esquire on uh, Monday Night Sports Talk in the uh, second hour of the show. Scott Beatty in hour number one. Some other items on uh, the agenda besides basketball. And it's a busy weekend for Big Ten basketball. Not as busy as it was. Illinois doesn't play and, and wasn't scheduled to play, but they've got a kind of an unusual weekend off before that trip to uh, Lincoln to take on Nebraska, and the Michigan State-Michigan game has been postponed. So there are two Big Ten games today and three coming up tomorrow. Some other uh, conversations we've had uh, and will have, we had a text asking about when a game is postponed in the Big Ten or college basketball anywhere who makes that decision, and that's obviously a joint decision with the uh, medical people, but uh, it will be the athletic director who makes the call to the other athletic director to say, hey. Into the Big Ten office. Right. And say, yeah. yeah. But you'd have to have the uh, 
the recommendation of the, of the of the health people because if you have seven players and one coach, any one coach, whichever coach, you got to play. Right. Bruce Weber missed a game this week. Yeah, he missing this is he's missing the game and this is his second miss. Right. And uh, Kansas State's got some struggle. I just you know, I'm wondering whether this will be his last year or whether he'll continue there. I think it's kind of up in the air, don't you? I do. But I think it's kind of been that way the, the last couple of years, and mm-hmm. he's he's been able to hang on. But uh, we'll see how that uh, plays out. Speaking of situations playing out, uh, to my knowledge, unless you have received an offer that, that you haven't shared with me, our NIL money has not come in yet. Uh, for you and me, but uh, there are a lot of offers out there. Uh, you see the Eastern Michigan offer to the uh, Oklahoma quarterback? Just a cool million. Huh? Yeah. We've got a million you set aside for it. wonder if real. <laughs> well, I don't know how you can go on uh, any kind of uh, social media and say that if it wasn't real, but uh, Charlie Batch is uh, the guy who did it, former player and Eastern Michigan yeah. Uh, alumni. Yeah. And uh, I guess you get the bidding war started that way, huh? Well, I'm afraid there's a lot of stuff like that going on under the table, even now, even though we say, well, it, it, it's all legal. Well, it isn't exactly. You're not just supposed to go out and offer in advance, okay? Right. It's not supposed to be used as an enticement, but heaven knows it is. And there's no way, I don't, there's no way to control it that I know of. Yeah, I don't either, and I, I don't know what the answer is to that. How do you... Uh as you said, there's no way to control it. Uh, I don't know how you would go about doing that, but some interesting things to talk about, no doubt. We touched on the offensive coordinator situation at Illinois. If you have any thoughts on that, give us a call. We do have the open line now between now and 11 o'clock. So anything that you might have been thinking about. I'd love to tell you there's some baseball news to talk about, but the only news is there's no news. Well, back on the Jeremy Fierce thing for uh-huh. just a moment. There seems to be some uh, Illini upset about the fact that uh, a former Joliet guy now playing at Indi- and in, in Indiana, back where uh, Coleman Lands played at La Lumiere, uh, Illinois already got three already has three guards committed and signed for this year: Rogers, Epps, and Harris. All three are really good players. I'm told that Rogers is a lead pipe since the start next year. Harrison Epps will be contenders for guard positions because Illinois loses so many guards this year. So I don't know that um, it's a disaster if, if you don't add another guard. I mean, they're bringing in three guards in one year. And you can't take, uh, it's just a matter of numbers, you can't take every Illinois kid or every kid that has Illinois as his number one choice. You just can't. <laughs> And by the way, they're in for some really big, you know, they're still involved in some really big possibilities between now and, and the end of signing because uh, Illinois could probably use another big guy. And we, we just don't know how good Payne is going to be next year. And, and he'll have a chance to be the starting center. And you got the big guy from Baylor, whose name I've already forgotten, uh, who's, uh, who's already uh, going to be here this, Dane this G- semester. Dangy. <laughs> Dangy, dangy. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Anyway, in any case, uh, I don't think the position is, quote, settled if they could get somebody better. Uh, but uh, but that's that's where they stand right now. This is a, it's a kind of a scary thing to start over and realize that Fraser will be gone. Uh, Jacob Grandison will be gone. Williams will be gone. And, of course, now if Kofi, is, Kofi could return, but the chances are he's gone. 
So Illinois is going to be starting from, shall I, can I say, scratch next year. They got the three freshmen uh, forwards on the team, you know, that'll be moving up. But and you got the, uh, obviously you've got Corbello back, who will be the the key to the team next year. I think we thought he was going to be the key to the team this year, but uh, that's that's all changed. Well, he still could be. You never know. Yeah, it could be, but. Maybe not the key, thing, but certainly this thing is going to rotate around Kofi from yeah, now on through the end of the season. There's no way that they're going to change what they're doing because Kofi is is a force in the middle. Well, Marty must have heard somebody was talking about him because <laughs> he is on the line from uh, Pinehurst, North Carolina. Good morning, yeah. Marty. Yeah, thanks for sending your cold weather down here, Steve. We really appreciate it. What do you got down there? Well, it's twenty six. It's not as cold as you. Hey, I grew up in Beeman. I understand, but it's twenty six this morning. The high's not even going to get to forty. So, but wow. it's sunny and clear. So, you, know, <laughs> you got that you going for you. If you really wanted to, you can play if you really wanted to. I've played in worse. So have I. A, uh, uh, yeah. When Cabello gets back, it's it's Kofi's team. The only thing is, you'll see more high pick and rolls with Kofi involved, or you know, but. Hey, the good news is Corbello was on draft boards before the season started. He ain't going to get drafted, so he'll be back next year. Look at it that way. Okay. Lauren, you are dead right. We got some good guards coming in. We only have so many scholarships. And I don't know why people get frustrated. I think Underwood's a pretty good coach. I think he's proven that he can – take a program that was in the doldrums and bring them back to a national level. I think he knows who he wants and why he wants them. Well, I think uh, the, the whole thing about Fierce is the fixation about getting players who have Illinois backgrounds. And uh, as I nice. tried to point out, that just isn't part of uh, – it's part of what they might say, but it's not part of the considerations. It's, it's part of what was important when you and I were kids. Yep. It's not near so important today that – how many kids worry about playing at their state school versus just going where they think they can get the, the most playing time and the best future for themselves? I mean, it's a different world today. I hate to say that, but it is. Question, Steve, since you're doing research on one of my favorite topics, and one of Lauren's too, I believe. Who was the last tight end that caught 30 passes in a season at Illinois? Because the thing that frustrates me more than anything else year after year, they always say they're going to use their tight ends more, and they never do. And it, it bugs me to no end because that's the, that's the easy path to get yardage when you need it, and that's your safety valve when you need it, and we don't go to them often enough. So has anyone caught 30 in the last 20 years? Well, we'll look it up. I, that's, that's one I don't have at the top of my head. Oh, what a surprise. <laughs> There's a lot of things in there that I don't know that are in my head, but uh, we haven't had any for a lot of years. No, I don't know when. I don't know how, how far you go back. Yeah, I'm just wondering when you're talking to Deacon. It's great to hear him. I remember him. You know, when I was in high school and Valak had to take over, and I could go sit in the horseshoe for a buck. You know, watch a game. Uh, the games weren't very good because Illinois wasn't very good, but Deacon was good. He was a good tight end um, and a great guy. And uh, you guys have had a good show this morning, and I, I wish you well. How cold is it up your way? It is 23 right now. Wind chill factor is 9. Oh, well, we don't have the wind chill this morning. We had yesterday. We got almost no breeze this morning, so we're ahead of you there. All right. 
So you can come down and play if you want to, Steve. All right, Marty, thanks. Appreciate hearing from you. All right. Take care, guys. Yep, 1040. Lord, I'm glad you got over the COVID. That worried me. Yeah, he, he says thank you very much. He's, right. he, he's Yeah, thanks, Marty. It is 1045. We'll take a break and be back with more after this. Stay with us. Steve and Lauren back with you until 11 o'clock. That's 10 minutes from now, so you've got uh, some time to get in. 217-356-9397 is the phone number, and Jim is with us in Champaign. Good morning, Jim. Hey, good morning. How you guys doing? Good. How about yourself? Not too bad for an old man. Uh, <laughs> I'm younger than Lauren, though. Uh, anyway, um, I'm trying to uh, – I, I graduated from Lawrenceville High School and came up to the U of I in 1971, and then they went to the two-class system in 72, and uh, my younger brother, Bill, played on uh, the 72 Lawrenceville team and the 74 team that won state championships. And uh, I kind of want to contact, I I don't know if it's Kent Brown, or who I would contact. I, I hope they could bring those guys back because it would be 50 years ago in March uh, when they played. And just to go from high school to play on the – back then it was the Assembly Hall, but it's State Farm Center floor. It was just – he was awestruck, you know, to get to play in a, that arena. And I, I don't know if they can bring back – I don't know. I think Thornridge might have won – the double A uh, in 72, but this March will mark 50 years, and it would be cool since we have the uh, tournament back here in town to have those two teams, maybe some of the guys could come back and uh, take a bow or something. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, that's a really could good you, idea. Is, uh, could you get Ron Felling to come back, you think? You know, he's he's not in really good health, but he's doing okay. He's over, I think he's in Indianapolis. Uh, uh-huh. That would be cool if we could get Ron over. He's a uh, he's a character. Oh yes, uh, I'll say. Yeah, uh, he was a lot of fun was, when he coached those Lawrenceville teams. Oh my gosh, they loved him down there, and I think they still do. And, yeah. Uh, but uh, I don't know who I would contact. I would uh, start with the IHSA since uh, that's their event you're talking about. You mentioned Kent Brown; he certainly is a good resource, but uh, I think uh, the high school association would have to be involved in that. Okay, well, I just, uh, since we're hosting the tournament, and I don't know, it probably has nothing to do with the DIA, right? Or uh, Well, it does, well, yeah. but it doesn't. You're right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're, they're using their facility for sure, and they're involved in the preparation and everything for it, but a question like that would uh, <clears throat> need to go to the association. Thank you. I appreciate it, and I'll let you let another caller get in. Okay. Yeah, Thanks, Jim. They're having some meetings, right, uh, coming up. I know on, on, and that would be one of the things that maybe they would consider the, to try to bring those two teams back or the two, mm-hmm. some members of those teams at least. Yeah, you know, they could probably do that and make it a semi-regular thing and do do it almost every year because there's going to be, you know, state championship from yep. 50 years ago or however you want to look at it. Uh, and they could do something. Maybe that would be too big a project, but certainly from time to time. Here's a text for you, Lauren. Why is recruiting Illinois kids for basketball not as important when uh, Brett Bielma thinks it's really important for him? Well, 
I think it's important, but I just don't think – I think you still take the best player. Right. We're talking about ba- – I, I, look, Bielma is, has taken an approach that I certainly approve of, but it's not the answer necessarily. You like to have a nucleus of Illinois players. There's no point in offending Illinois players while you're recruiting players from Florida, Texas, and wherever that you have to have if you're going to win. Illinois can – this is a bad statement that I'm going to make here, but you just can't win championships at Illinois with just Illinois kids. There was a time when maybe you could, but you can't anymore. Ohio State doesn't win championship with just Ohio kids. They don't. They get them from everywhere. Michigan is a high recruiting team. They get their players from everywhere. Everybody recruits in football. Everybody recruits everywhere, but you don't. you don't offend your own people in your own state by not uh, uh, trying to bring as many uh, reasonable players as you can. The problem, what, what he's trying to do in Illinois is build up toward getting some of the better players. What he's taken so far are not, I don't want to call them second raters, but they're not top players in the state of Illinois for the most part. These are guys that he took because they wanted to come to Illinois, and, and he's got thir- 25 scholarships and actually he's got 32 this year. And, and that's what he's doing. But and it, it, when you've already recruited Rodgers and Epps and Harris, three really good players, Rodgers like a, is a terrific player. Um, and they weren't – now, Rodgers is from the state of Illinois now. He's at Harvey now because he moved there. But, right. but basically that, that, that was not their intention uh, necessarily to try to recruit Illinois players. He's just trying to get the best players he can wherever they are, whether they're in Puerto Rico or in California, like Hawkins. Jamaica. Or, or, yeah, or Jamaica. <laughs> or, yeah. I mean, uh, I, I just think the times have changed. If you go back, if you go back to the, uh, in the 1900s, if you go back to Harry Combs' teams, those were all Illinois players. When Bill Burwell came here, he was the only guy uh, playing for with, with Downey and Small and Starnes and that team. He was the only one um, that was not from the state of Illinois. When uh, later on, when uh, team, Illinois teams might have one player, like uh, oh, I'm trying to think. Uh, well, they had Weatherspoon and Connor uh, at one point. They had two two guys from Ohio. Mm-hmm. They came together. But mm-hmm. over the years, Illinois has overwhelmingly had Illinois players. And and the Lou Henson teams from 1989 to 1996. And I did the check on this. In that period of seven years or seven or eight years there, so six, seven years, eight years actually, they had two players start on a regular basis that were, were not from the state of Illinois. They had Pierce, and I forgot who the other one was. They had um, Pierce from Texas and, and uh, another guy. And Rodney Jones. Rodney Jones from Philadelphia was yeah. the other one. Mm-hmm. And so, and then you go into the teams that played for uh, – Actually, Bill Self's teams and 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 Weber's teams, those were those were guys. They they were dominated by Illinois players, with one exception, of course, Darren Williams. But that's what we've done all these years: is recruit Illinois players. It's not the, it's not the case anymore. It's it's all changed. Need to take one final break. We'll do that now and be back to wrap things up after this. Stay with us. Got about a minute left on uh, this edition of Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk National Championship Game. Mr. Tate coming up Monday night. In Indianapolis, Alabama, 
is the underdog. What do you think is going to happen, even though they pounded Georgia a, a month ago? Nobody's an underdog in that game. No like kidding. That's, that's got to be a toss-up, doesn't it? I think so. I'm pulling for Georgia. I am too. <laughs> we just want to see something different, right? Right. So that's coming up Monday night. Uh, women's basketball tomorrow at the uh, State Farm Center. If you're in town for that, uh, 2 o'clock is the tip time. The men's basketball team will head out, uh, what, Monday you're going to leave? Monday afternoon for uh, Lincoln, Nebraska for that Tuesday night game. Thanks to our guests this morning, Illini basketball coach Brad Underwood, Jeremy Werner from Illini Inquirer, 24-7 Sports, and to former Illinois and uh, Cleveland Browns football player Doug Deacon, who spent about 30 minutes with us. Appreciate it. Thanks to Dave Leak, our producer, to Ed Bond for just being Ed Bond on WDWS Champaign-Urbana. I'm Steve Kelly. Have a good weekend, everybody.